Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Isaiah, to the book of Isaiah this morning. I'm going through the book of Isaiah. God's led us to do that, and we've been blessed, and I come now to, I think, one of the greatest chapters in all the whole Bible, and I want to share something with you from that this morning, and what a wonderful time of the year. I love this time of the year, the fact that our Savior suffered and bled and died for us. And if it hadn't done that, none of this would mean anything to us. The choir wouldn't mean a thing to us. The testimony of our brother and how God's working. Isn't it something? How the Holy Ghost of God works. How many of you were in a service sometime and when the preacher preached, you thought he was talking directly to you? Raise your hand. And it was the Holy Ghost. He's got our number, doesn't he? God knows us, knows all about us, and he knows what to send and when to send it. And I just marvel and I always rejoice at how God the Holy Ghost works the same around the world and deals with men and women, boys and girls. You know why? Because every person who doesn't know Christ is lost. They're no different lost in Africa than they are in America. And it's the same. And it's only one gospel that'll save them. That's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for that. When I read this passage of scripture we're going to look at this morning, it thrills my heart. To think that God the Holy Ghost gave this to Isaiah 700 years before Christ was ever born. Here's the gospel. I mean, here's the whole gospel. Here's the, the, the life of our Lord. Here's the humiliation of our Lord. Here's the suffering and bleeding and dying of our Lord. Here's the resurrection of our Lord. It's all in one chapter. And I want to share that with you briefly this morning as we look at it. You have your Bibles open to Isaiah 53. I want to begin reading actually in chapter number 52 with verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many, as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man in his form more than the sons of men so shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which hath not been told them shall they see, and that which they have not heard shall they consider. Verse 1 of chapter 53, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form, no comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, 
He shall see a seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide with him a portion with the great and he shall divide the small with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Will you bow together with me for prayer? Father, I ask now the Holy Ghost of God, God would anoint and fill me with that anointing that'll make the difference. Our Father, I bow before you and confess that there's no good thing in me. And God, this morning, apart from the working and moving of the Holy Ghost of God, nothing eternal will take place. But God, just as you spoke to James's heart there in Africa, just as you spoke to me and Brother Jim, God, I pray this morning, some man, some woman, some boy, some girl, would hear the word of God. I pray the Holy Ghost of God would speak to them. And God, they would know that they need to be born again by the grace of God. And God, for those of us who know Christ, I pray God, as we relive and look together at the scripture this morning, I pray God, you challenge our heart to go to a lost and dying world and tell them over and over again the great story of our Savior who loved them and suffered and bled and died for them and who bore their sins and how they can be born again and can have life everlasting. God, help us to be faithful to you. God, give you a touch, give you anointing. Fill us with the power of the Holy Ghost now and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. Here in this passage of scripture, we see a picture of the suffering servant our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't this passage of Scripture astound you? Boy, it just amazes me at what detail the Holy Spirit of God has given us the account of our Lord 700 years before he ever came. 700 years before he ever died. I'll go through quickly this morning and give you a little, a simple little outline, but I hope it'll be a great truth to your heart. Notice in the first place that he was going to be a successful servant. He says in verse number 15 of chapter 2, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted. He shall be extolled he, and be very high. I want you to know that before the foundation of the world in the mind and the heart of eternal God, Jesus Christ already died. He already gave his life. And I've emphasized that over and over again, that he was slain before the foundation of the world. But pray, may I say this to you? Praise God, he was already exalted before the foundation of the world. He did not come to be a failure. He has not failed in his ministry. He has not, not accomplished everything that God the Father wanted and it's working his, he's working his plan now in time and thank God in the mind and heart of God, he's already exalted King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And my dear friend, I'm glad I'm on his side. I'm glad I've been washed in the blood. He is a successful king. He's a successful servant. In this passage of scripture, notice it says this, he's going to be exalted. He's going to be extolled and he's going to be elevated. He is successful. In this passage of scripture, I want you to note two little words quickly and I'm going to go on. In verse 14, it says, and as many, as many were astonished at thee, and then down at verse, it says, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Now, in, in the, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Dan was asking me the other day if I ever took Hebrew and Greek. I did take Greek in college, but I never had Hebrew. I've done some Hebrew studies and just use the same thing you have access to, uh, Hebrew, Greek lexicon, and then the, the, the uh, Bible concordances and so on, all the study aids. But here in the Hebrew text, this, these two words, astonished and sprinkled, come from the same root word. Basically, they mean about uh, the, uh, the same thing except for this. When you use the word astonished, 
Boy, we think about somebody, man, your eye pop out like two fried eggs, you know, when something just really gets your attention. It says in this passage of Scripture, I'm going to deal with this a little bit more. It said that when they saw him in the brutality of our Lord, how, how that they were so brutal to him, and his visage, his face, his, his, his person was so marred that it, they were astonished at him. It, just in, just, it was an awful sight to see. They were astonished at it. But then he goes on. As they were astonished at him, they're going to be astonished, sprinkled by him. And that word sprinkle means, I mean, it's going to be that much more of a bigger surprise to them. When they saw him suffer and, saw the, and they were astonished to see what he went through, boy, they're going to be really astonished, so astonished when they see him exalted and on his throne. Boy, he, every mouth's going to be stopped. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank God for that. Now, notice something about our Savior. Not only was he a successful servant, but my dear friend, he was a spurned servant. And notice in this passage of Scripture, first of all, he was disfigured. He was a disfigured servant. In verse 14 of chapter 52, it says this, As many as were astonished at him, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. The brutality that they showed to our Lord, every wound that can be inflicted to a human body was inflicted to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was beaten and battered and bruised. He was pierced and the thorns pierced his brow. They pulled the beard from his face. They beat him with a cat of nine tails. They beat him with a rod. They spit upon him. They slapped him and buffeted him with their fists and hands. Our Lord's face was pulverized, and it was a horrible, hideous sight. He was disfigured. Not only was he disfigured, but notice verse 1 of chapter number 53. Who hath believed our report? The Lord Jesus Christ was disbelieved. Not only was he disfigured, but when he came and he preached the message, he was disbelieved. Hold your place there. Flip over quickly to the book of Romans chapter number 10. Who hath believed our report? Oh, listen, the heartache of any preacher is that he preaches the word of God and under the, I believe, the anointing of God and the power of God and begs men and women to come to know Christ and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and they will not believe. What a sad thing that is. Notice what it says in this passage of Scripture here in Romans chapter number 10. And look at verse number 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report. He's prophesying their unbelief. Now here's a group of people, the Jews, who say they were looking for Messiah and who say they believe the scriptures and the very scriptures that they believed prophesied and told of their unbelief in the scriptures. Isn't that something? Isn't that amazing? How people can say we believe it and yet they don't believe it. And there are a lot of people in this room this morning, a lot of people in the radio audience who say we believe, but you really don't believe. You really have never trusted Christ as your personal Savior. Oh, you may believe in a historical Jesus. You may believe in the, the Bible is the Word of God. You may do that mentally, but you've never believed in your heart. The Bible said, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. That's the problem. You may hear it and you may say, I, I, I understand that and I agree with that, but they've never really believed. 
he was disbelieved. And here's the crux of the matter. You can read all the testimony of our Lord and what he suffered and bled and died for you. But if you never trust him as your Savior, the Bible said, if you believe in your heart and confess with the mouth of the Lord Jesus that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But you've never, if you've never responded to that, if there's never been a time in your life when you, like Brother James, came and said, I want to be born again and I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, if you've never believed and responded to that, you never had saving faith. They didn't believe him. Israel, so many of them did not believe when Jesus came, he was the Messiah. Not only was he disbelieved in this passage of Scripture, but if you will, look in verse number 52. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground, and he hath no form to comeness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He was disregarded. He was, he was not, they showed no interest in him. They would not accept him for who he was. He was just disregarded. He was, a, he was the son of a carpenter. Or he was the illegitimate son of Mary. Or, or, or he was just a, this babbler, they said. They disregarded him. But now notice in this passage of scripture, God the Father looked at him differently. He saw him as a root out of dry ground, dead parts ground of Judaism and religion and formality. He saw life. That's his son coming up out of that. That's Jesus coming out of death, coming out, coming out, of, out of dead ritualistic Judaism. The Lord Jesus Christ sprang up like a green branch coming out of that. He's called the branch in the Bible. And here he's coming out of that, of that ground. He is, our Lord saw him like that. Notice this passage of Scripture says he has no form of comeliness that we should desire. And some people say because of that, Jesus was probably not a handsome man. But I don't believe that's the case. I want to show you a verse and just, real, just not chasing the rabbit. I want to just show you something. Turn back to Isaiah, excuse me, Psalms 45. In Psalms 45, why don't you look at verse number 2. In Psalms 45, verse 2. Now, how many of you have ever heard anybody... And you, and you know they lived a rough life and you made the statement, they, 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 are, they look older than they are. Raise your hand. And, and what do we say? Either we say they've got a lot of miles on them or they're bearing the marks of sin in their life. I've seen that, haven't you? I've seen people who live wicked lives and they looked a lot older than they were because of the way they lived. Now watch this. Notice what it says in chapter 45 of Psalms, verse 2. It's speaking of our Lord. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore, God hath blessed thee forever. He is fairer. Now, understand this. He's the only perfect man that ever lived. And we talk about that in a moral sense or in a, in a, a, a religious sense so far as Christ being a perfect man, so far as living a perfect life in obedience to the Father no sin, no guile in his mouth, never thought about sin, never committed sin. But what destroys mind and your body, the reason you start dying the day you were born, is sin. Sin in this world under our federal head, Adam. That's where it all comes from. But he had, he lived a sinless life, and he was sinless. He was God incarnate in human flesh. Personally, I believe he was a perfect specimen of a man. Perfect. And when it says they had no form to come in this that we should desire him, it's not talking about his physical appearance. It's talking about what he taught. You see, up until the time he began his public ministry, there's nothing said 
about him that men hated him. The Bible said he grew in stature and in favor with men. They, they, he was a hard worker. Men admired him because of his manliness. They admired him because of his dedication. They admired him, I, I think, because of his stamina, his work ethic, all those things. They did not hate him until he said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. He never, he, they never hated him until he said, no man comes to the Father but by me. They never hated him until he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. That's the only way you can go to heaven is through me. They, what they hated about him was what he taught and what he preached. And here in this passage of scripture, they disregarded him because they rejected what he said. Notice in verse 53 of Isaiah 53, Excuse me, verse number three, rather. It says this, not only was he disfigured, not only was he disbelieved, and not only did they disregard him, but they despised him without a cause. Why would you hate somebody that could touch a leper and make him whole? Why would you hate somebody that could touch an infant and, and, and a, a little girl, a little boy, and it be brought back to life? Why would you hate somebody? Why would you hate somebody that could touch a blind eye and cause it to see a sunrise? Why would you hate somebody that could take somebody who'd been lame for 38 years and heal them instantly? How could you hate somebody who would take a, uh, who would take a, a woman who had exhausted every means and all of her living and was none the better and was dying of an issue of blood and make her whole just like that? Why would you hate somebody like that? But they despised him. He was despised. Our Savior was spurned by men. He was despised. But notice verse 3 again and the rest of that verse. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. This word esteemed him not means we would not identify with him as kin to us. He was disowned. He came into his own and his own received him not. He was disregarded, but he was disowned. We don't know him. We don't want to have anything to do with him. We disown him. He is illegitimate. We don't have anything to do with him. What an awful thing. What an awful thing. But now notice not not only the spurns servant. But look in chapter 53, verses 4 through 6. He is our substitutionary servant. Here's where I'd like to spend some time, but I'm not going to stay very long. The Holy Ghost of God's made this so clear for us. Understand the reason he came. Jesus said, I did not come to minister. I, came to, I did not come to be ministered to. I came to minister and to give my life a ransom. He did not come to live. He came to die. And he came to give his life. And notice in verse 4, it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrow. And we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He bore our sin. He bore our sorrow. He bore our sickness. He bore our separation. All those things he did for us. He is our substitute. Our substitute. 
It says in this passage of scripture that we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. You know what it says? They, the Jews and those living in that day said he deserved everything he got. They, they said he deserved that. He deserved that. But I want to show you at verse 6. Look at verse 6. He is our Savior and he bore our sins. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. I'm going to show you two or three things about this verse. And I'm going to go on. There are two great debts in this passage of Scripture. It says, number one, all we like sheep have gone astray. When Adam sinned, all of Adam's race failed. The Word of God says you are a sinner by nature. You're born in Adam's race. You do not have to teach children to lie. You have to teach them to do right. Because I don't care how pretty they are, they're born with Adam's nature in them. Africans are born with Adam's nature. Americans are born with Adam's nature. In the Philippines, they're born with Adam's nature. That's a nature alienated from God. It's a nature that is selfish and self-centered. We are all under condemnation. He said he's concluded all into sin because you're born into Adam's race. But not only that debt, the debt of the federal head Adam, but there's personal debt there. Notice what it says in this passage of Scripture. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have every one turned to his own way. Now listen. You say, well, it's not right for me to have to be alienated from God and lost and on my way to hell because of what Adam did. But he goes on and said, but every one of us have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory. Two debts. Your debt because of your relationship to Adam, but a debt because of your personal disobedience to God and your personal sin. There's two debts, but one payment. Notice what it said in this passage of Scripture. It said, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Praise God. I'm talking about all of our iniquity was laid on him. All of our sin was laid on him. Every person around the world, every person ever lived, all of our sin was laid on that sacrifice. That's why we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's amazing that he could take all of my sin and all of your sin and put them on Christ and he could suffer and bleed and die and pay the sin debt for every man. Look at this verse. If you mark your Bible, I want you to mark two words. Notice how that verse starts. Verse number six of Isaiah 53. Circle the word all. And the last word of that verse, all. All have sinned, but thank God he paid the sin for all is well. Praise God. I'm glad that any man, woman, boy, and girl can be born again because he took all of our sin and put it on him and he died for all of us. Anybody can be saved. What a wonderful Savior. Oh, listen, the substitute of our Savior. I've got to hasten on this morning. But will you notice the submission of our Savior in chapter 53, verses 7 and following? He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought a little lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before the shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he's cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of our people was he stricken. And made his grave, made his grave with the wicked and the rich in his death. Because he had no violence, done no violence. 
Neither was any deceit in his mouth. The submission of our Savior. Notice, oh, listen, what an awesome thing here he's done. I notice he, he was silent, silent in submission. He was slain in submission, but he was sinless in submission. He, he came as a lamb. Could have used anything there, but he was the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He was the sacrifice. He's our substitute. The Bible said, listen, scarcely for a righteous man would one die. Yet peradventure for good men, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's our substitute. He paid that sin debt. Oh, I pray God the Holy Ghost to make that real to you this morning. You don't have to be a good person. You don't have to do good deeds. You don't have to kiss the Pope's ring. You don't have to go through some sort of ritual. What you've got to do is believe that he died for you. He suffered and bled and died for you. He's your, he's your savior. He's our substitute. He died in our stead. Beautiful picture. Abraham went to offer Isaac in obedience to the Lord's command. He pulled back the knife before he plunged it through his son's heart. God stayed his hand. God said, I look and he listened and he turned around and there was a ram uh, the, a, a male sheep caught in the thicket by his horns there that, that the thorns had engulfed his head and I thought about that when they took the lamb of God and they put thorns down on his head and he said he took that ram and he offered it in the stead of his son that's what God did for you you ought to be in hell today ought to be in hell today but God took all of my sin and on that cross, he, his son Jesus died for us. Not only did I note the submission of our Lord in this passage of scripture, I noticed this question, who shall declare his generation? You see, what happened was when a man's condemned to death, some representative, somebody that was associated with some friend, they, they would had this custom. They would least tell the good things that he'd done. So he wouldn't die, everybody thinking that's all he was. All he was was a thief. All he was was a murderer. All he, he really deserved to die. But somebody would declare and say, oh, that's not all there was to him. There was something. But when Jesus died, Jesus died, there was silence. Except for, I think, maybe three different people. Unusual people. One was... Pilate's wife she declared his generation she told her husband she said don't have anything to do with this man I've suffered many things in a dream tonight have nothing to do with this just man he's, he's sinless Pilate came and he washed his hands and he said I'm clean of the blood of this just man I mean God had the the king to testify. He's no sin in him. Hanging on the cross, a thief. And he said to his friend on the other side, co-sinner, who blasphemed Jesus and said, if you're the Christ, won't you come down and save us? And he said, listen, you and I died justly, but this man hath done nothing amiss. Hanging between heaven and earth, a thief declared his generation. 
and said he's not done anything wrong. He's sinless. He suffered and bleeding and died. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, this day thou'll be with me in paradise. I'm glad. He's a sinless Savior, but he suffered and bled and died that you and I might have life. But now will you notice the satisfaction of the Savior? Notice in beginning in this past description, I'll be through. It said in verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see a seed. He shall prolong his days. Now listen to me, what I'm fixing to say to you. Everything that happened in the life of Christ during that mock trial and those abuses that he took to his body, all of that, all of that, all of the beatings, all of that, all of that was in God's plan. But now listen to me. That's not what saved you. We put great emphasis on the stripes on his back. We put great emphasis on, on, on all of the physical suffering. But what, what sealed our eternity is that God the Father made his son's soul an offering for sin. Now you're talking about something gets real big. That gets real big. It was a spiritual event. Catastrophic, horrible, hideous, physical suffering to be sure. But what took place on that cross was a spiritual event. He made his soul an offering for sin. You see, you've got a physical body. But the truth be known, everybody's body in here, unless the rapture occurs today, is going to die. But inside of you is a spirit. And that spirit's going to live forever in heaven or hell. And Christ's body suffered. But he gave his soul a ransom so that your soul could be in eternity for all, he, for all eternity. He made his soul an offering for sin. God the Father orchestrated the whole thing. Oh yeah, all the beating, all the stripes, all of that. It all was in his plan. And on that cross, he offered his son upon that altar as a sacrifice for sin. Made his soul an offering Oh, watch it. Notice what happens. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Does that word catch your attention? Does that word astound you? Oh, when they saw his physical beating, when they saw his physical abuse, that was an astonishing thing. But it's more astonishing to me that it would please the Father to take his own darling son who was daily his delight before there ever was a mountain and it pleased him to offer him on that cross. Oh, my friend, that's more than I can ever fathom. Why would he ever do that? Why? Because he loved you and he loved me. I can't comprehend that. Why would he take a perfect son and it pleased him to allow that perfect son with no sin, no guile, never disobeyed him 
always did what he wanted. Take him and allow him to be offered as a sacrifice and to offer him himself for a sacrifice for rebellious sinners like me and you. It pleased him to do that. Oh, that's an astounding truth to me. It pleased him to bruise him. And he, and he said, to, and he had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, watch, he shall see his seed. The father was satisfied with the sacrifice. The servant saw his seed. I preach a message called the secret of Calvary. And in the book of Hebrews, it said, Christ endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that set before him. The secret of Calvary is this. He saw past Calvary. And on that cross, he saw his seed. He looked down through time. And as he, his eyes were swollen, physical eyes, through the eyes of eternal God, he saw all the way down. He saw a black man fall on his face in a Baptist church and receive him as Savior and Lord. And he saw the thousands that he's won to Christ since then. Saw all that. He saw you. That's why he did it. Pleased the Father to do that, but it pleased the Son to do it because he saw his seed. He saw what was going to come out of that death. He said, you take a grain of wheat, a grain of corn, and you die. It, if it's why it's alive, it'll bite it alone. But when it died, it come out. Oh, listen, he saw his seed. He saw the life that was coming out of that. He saw it all down through time. And notice what it says this. It says, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he bears their sin. He goes on and talks about Verse 12, therefore will he divide with him a portion and shall divide the spoil with the, with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with transgressors and to bear the sins of many and he made intercession for transgressors. On that cross, it was pleasing the father to offer his son. But yon in that garden, Christ had already prayed, not my will but thine be done. And on that cross, he looked down through time and he saw all those who'd come to him by faith and he was satisfied with what he was seeing. He said, it's worth every bit of it. It's worth every bit of it. And I think about what little bit you and I do in physical effort and what little bit we do financially. And he looked down through time. He said, it's worth it. Worth everything I'm going through for one person to get saved. You and I ought to recognize the fact that it's worth it. It's worth us to give our time and our talent and our tithe and give everything we have to get souls saved. It's worth it. It's worth it. Oh, listen, he looked down through time and he saw the great joy of what was going to happen. And on that cross, the father was pleased to offer him for sacrifice for sin. The Bible says that he made intercession for transgressors. One of the things that astounds me, not the, only the physical part, not only the fact that God was pleased to offer his son, and not only the fact that Jesus was willing to suffer and bleed and submit to that, but that on that cross, having beat and battered him, 
to where his face, you didn't even recognize him as a man. One of the first things he said off that cross was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Is that astounding? Is that astounding to you? Is that, is that amazing to you that he'd say that? Well, it ought not to be. The Bible says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. And right now he's a praying for you. He's, he's interceding for those of us who are believers. He's interceding for us. But I never have applied it, Brother Jim, this way. But it says here that he shall make intercession for transgressors. Before the throne of God, those of you who don't know Christ, not only he'd do all that for you, but he's been pleading with the Father. Stay your hand of judgment, Father. Wait, give him a little bit longer, Father. Today's the day. Maybe they'll believe in me today. Maybe they'll trust me today. He's interceding for you. You got a mama prayed for you. You got a grandma prayed for you. You got a daddy, a granddaddy. You got somebody else. You got a preacher praying for you. I got news for you. The one who loved you and died for you on that cross. He right now is interceding on your behalf. On your behalf. Coming to me, all you that labor. And a heavy laden, he said, I'll give you rest. He that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. He's a wonderful Savior. Do you know him? I, I, I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for religion. Not even if he was a good Baptist. But you better know this Savior. You better know that your sins are forgiven. Heaven's your home. Will you trust him?